Hey Jack, guess what? What? We have a sponsor. Oh yeah, the Orange Theatre Company. They've been entertaining the central west of New South Wales in Australia for over 45 years. Musicals, plays, concerts and workshops, they really cater for all. Check out the Orange Theatre Company's website and socials for more information on their 2021 season. They just get it right, the orchestra, the talent on stage, the audiences love it. You can't go wrong with an OTC production. And you go out the door thinking, I want to see that again. I go out the door watching you in an OTC show and I go, I want to see that again. Oh, stop it, will you? I think exactly the same about you. Oh, gosh, you're such a charmer. Thanks, mate. Anytime. Welcome to Behind the Curtain. Please refrain from singing in the rain, stepping in time, and learning your lines out loud during this podcast. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey everyone and welcome to Behind the Curtain Podcast. George, how are you my friend? I am extremely well. It's a a very warm day down where I'm recording at the moment. How is it up your way in central west of New South Wales? Well in Orange, I think it's roughly around 30 degrees, so it's quite a warm day today. But George, would you like to introduce our wonderful special guest to the show today? Mate, I would love to. We have got a wonderful bloke. I actually saw him in the Australian uh, tour of The Wizard of Oz, was blown away by his performance as the Scarecrow. It's Eli Cooper. Welcome to the show, mate. Oh my God. Thank you for having me. How's your day been? I believe you've been uh, working in the dance store, doing pirouettes and all sorts of stuff. <laughs> you know it. The hustle is real and it never sleeps. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, thank you so much for joining us on Behind the Curtain. We're super keen to talk all things at you, essentially. How's that for you? Are you okay to talk all about yourself and indulge in, in yourself for this episode? <laughs> Mate, I could not be more obsessed with myself, so this suits me just perfectly. <laughs> no, I'll try not to be too boring, I promise. Well, look, firstly, uh, I'm so curious to know, where does your love for theatre and performance and acting and all that stuff begin? What age? Where, when, um, why, how? Well, kind of late, to be honest. Well, late in terms of, you know, the kids that dance from when they're as soon as they can walk, their mums put them in the local dance school or whatever. I was a little bit late as a game. I um, have an older sibling who doesn't perform and never had any interest in that. So she was a really excellent sports player. So I was tried in every sport she did and never really took to it. Um, but I guess during primary school, you do like a concert, like your primary school puts on like an annual concert or whatever. And as I progressed through primary school, people could identify that when that time of year came, suddenly I was an excellent student. Like I was a crap student the whole year until that happened. And then every day of concert time, I wanted to be there and whatever. So it became pretty apparent that was capturing at least my enough of my attention to keep me alert at school. And it was mentioned to my parents that maybe you should find a local dance school. Maybe that's his jam. Um, and so I did. I went to a local dance school down here called, oh, I can't even remember. It doesn't exist anymore. Um, and because they had a boys class, it was called Boys Funk. 
Um, and I would have been, I guess, grade five. So what's that make you? Eleven. Um, I went to boys' funk for an hour a week. We danced to "It Wasn't Me" by Shaggy, which is hideously inappropriate. Um, and then I think the biggest turning point for me that set me on the right path, at least, was my grade six teacher. Um, his name was uh, Mr. Brown, and coincidentally, he is the father of Australian music theatre icon and legend Rowan Brown. And oh, wow. he, I know, right? What luck! Mm. And he said to my parents, listen, there is a high school that exists that caters to elite dance students. It's called Victorian College of the Arts Secondary School. It's where my son went. I think you should at least go and check out the open day. So we did. And the first time I set foot on that campus, I'd never done a ballet class in my life. I'd done my one hour of voice funk for like three terms. I walked into that school and I was like, oh, cute, this is where I go to school. Obviously, I'm not going to local high school. Like, this is where I go to school. So we spoke to a um, a teacher there at the open day and they asked what I was doing and I very proudly said my boy's funk. And they were like, okay, well, <laughs> to get into this school, you're going to have to go through about eight different ballet class auditions. So I'd take a ballet lesson next year if I were you. So um, I added a one ballet class a week to my workload um, and then auditioned for VCAS and got in and started my high school there at 13. And that's when I really started going, oh, this is a world I could live in for the rest of my life. This doesn't have to just be one hour every Thursday dancing to Shaggy's. It wasn't me, you know? (laughs) Definitely. And you actually graduated from the Victorian College of the Arts with a Premier's Award in dance. And then going... And then going on from that, you actually danced on the Princess Cruiser ships. And how was that experience different to working in theatre? Sure. So I, we're at VCAS. We were very heavily uh, ballet-focused and contemporary dance-focused. Um, but as I got to about maybe 14 or 15, I started to realise, oh, that's not a world that I really want to spend the rest of my life in. Like, I have nothing but admiration for ballet dancers because – the, the life they lead is hideously difficult. They are taking class all day, rehearsal all day, performing all night, and then doing it all again the next day. Like, it's just not for me. I'm far too lazy. So I started to think, I don't know what else. I want to keep dancing. Where, where are the other opportunities? A professional jazz dancer is what I wanted to be, and sadly, that doesn't exist. So, uh, you know, we talked with teachers and um older students and things, it started to become apparent that theatre could be a place that that could exist. So I very tentatively took minimal singing lessons, minimal acting lessons, but I was focused on what opportunities lay out there, as I was getting ready to graduate, that is, what opportunities lay out there for a professional dancer that wasn't just a ballet company. So things like the Moulin Rouge or the Lido in Paris or um, Frederikstadt Palace in um, Germany or cruise ships, all that kind of stuff. So then when I was in year 12, uh, part of the VCE dance unit was to go to a professional audition. I went to the first one I could find just to tick the box and it was Princess Cruises. Um, And, you know, actually, it's a very funny story. I know I'm waffling, but I promise it goes somewhere. (laughs) I went to this audition, right, and they were having dance auditions for dancers. And then auditions for what's called an adagio couple. So couples that like do lots of acrobatic partner work and lifting and counterbalance and stuff. 
and we're in this waiting room and this man comes out and he's like, right, so who's here to dance? And all these hands go up. There was like 300 people. And then they go, okay, who's here to do adagio? And two sets of couples put their hands up, so four people. Next thing I know, my hand is being yanked out of my arm and I turn around and it's my dear, dear friend and also music theatre performer, Andrea Arena, going, yep, we're an adagio couple. And I was like, Andrea, we're not though. And she was like, no, we'll be fine, babe. We can both tumble. Oh, we'll do some double cartwheels, like really basic acro stuff that we could do together. Anyway, we get into this audition. So it's six of us, the two Adagio couples and us pretending to be one. And they go, great, let's see your partner work. So Andrea and I just do the most pitiful display of like basic entry-level partner work for acrobatics. And it's hideously embarrassing. (laughs) And then um, they go, right, well, all the Adagio couples still have to dance in the show, the same plots that the dancers dance. So then we creamed them. They couldn't, but bless them, they were amazing at what they did, but they couldn't dance. And so mm. Andrea and I shone, and then, like, I reckon a week later, we both got an email being like, the job is yours. Oh, wow. So, but Ships was different. It was, like, the hardest I've ever worked in my life. Wow. If you are a straight-up dancer on a cruise ship, no singing, no vocal track, you work within an inch of what's humanly possible. Mm. You're doing three shows a night, six nights a week. Um, You're in every single number. So that can sometimes mean you don't have time to do a quick change. So you've got four costumes on at once. You're spending all day, which is amazing on the beach in the Caribbean, but that you're coming back on the ship to do a show with heat stroke. Like it's not (laughs) for the faint of heart. And I'm so glad I did it as my first job ever because there's no way in hell I could do it now. And anyone that, I mean, it's not for everyone. It's a hard way to live. You're being told what you can do, what you can wear, what you can say, when you can be different places. Um, but, man, I loved it. I wouldn't trade it for the world, and I recommend it to everyone just to do one. If you hate it, don't go back, but just do one. Mm-hmm. We, we often speak to our guests uh, a little bit about, you know, where they rank their talents as far as the triple threat goes, the singing, the dancing, mm-hmm. the acting. Jack and I, we're exactly the same. We think we're sort of, you know, first comes singing, second is acting, and then way, 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 way down is the dancing. But what is it for you? I'm curious to know. I think from those stories, obviously, I'm a singer first. (laughs) No, no. No, (laughs) Take what you've got, flip it and reverse it. I'm a dancer who can act and occasionally get by humming a tune. There you go. Well, that's quite interesting because, like, when I saw you, uh, you know, live performing as a scarecrow, you had a you had a bloody good voice, mate. Well, thank you. That's so nice. I um, it, it's yeah. I don't know. I think I've just got hangover damage about pedestrian singing ability. Obviously, I've been in the industry now as a dancer, but also in musicals for twelve years. I've obviously wow. had to have picked up something in that time. So I, I'm probably not as bad as I think I am or as bad as I was. So I think I, that's just I'm very self-deprecating of myself as a singer. At the end of the day, the matter of fact is I'm a singer. I'm just not a musician. So I don't – that's where mm. I struggle. I'm fine to carry a tune by myself. I can rehearse it away. I'm going to sing it and deliver it exactly the same eight shows a week but I'm never going to be like a pitch-perfect riff-off kind of guy. Going on from that, you appeared in Gordon Frost's organisation's Grease as the role of Eugene and understudied the role of Doody in 
How was that experience for you working alongside the likes of like Rod Mills and Gretel Scarlett, for example? Yeah, Greece was just such a time. Like it was my first show. I'd wanted one so badly. I'd done four shifts and come home wow. and I auditioned for, I went back to school. I went back to full-time music theater at PSA because no one, no agency would take me on. They said I was too green and I needed more experience. And Andy Hallsworth so generously offered me a spot. Um, I missed the first term and he let me just pick up where everyone else was up to and try and play catch up. And he was incredible. And I'm so grateful for that opportunity and experience. Um, and that's where I really started to have proper singing lessons with so many singing teachers. Sam Morley was my first ever real singing teacher and she was just the kindest soul. And um, Colette Mann, who is a phenomenal acting coach, took me under her wing, really helped me become a really solid actor. And I still go to her to this day. Um, but I auditioned so much and then Greece was the one that finally popped and it was just the greatest tour of my life. Like we were supposed to go for six months. It went for 18 months. Yeah, it wow. came back to Melbourne. Like we did Melbourne and then we came back to Melbourne. Like it just didn't stop. We went to Hobart. We went to Singapore. Like it was wow. mental and it was the coolest group of people to do your first show with. It was half people doing their first show and half the most experienced people in the industry. And we just had an absolute ball. It was amazing. So, look, I'm also just wondering, you know, and forgive me if this is a total mood kill, but were there moments, and look, I already know it's going to be a mood kill because I like getting deep and meaningful. <laughs> I'm a D&M kind of guy. So, sure. <laughs> Were there moments in your career so far where you wanted to maybe give up or you wanted to change industries or you were like, you know, far out, I, I'm auditioning, but I'm, I'm not really getting anywhere. But, you know, like what were those moments like for you, Eli? I don't want to be like a doomsday prepper about it all because I know that people listening to this podcast are going to be people that want to throw their hat in the ring and try this industry, but it sucks so much and for a lot of the time like if when you're really starting and when I was really starting I just took everything so personally and it's your own baggage you've got about yourself that you project back onto yourself you don't know why you've been cut from an audition or why you got all the way to the end got put on hold and didn't get it you don't have that information because you're not a casting director and oftentimes they won't give it to you. And if you ask for it, you'll get some blanket generic response because they've got other things to do. So you invent, or I at least, would invent the most obscure reasons for why they just hate me. And it's so personal and how I'm so pathetic and I'm crap and I should quit and whatever. And then as you go along and you do more and you experience more and you kind of sometimes even step to the other side of the table, you start to think, oh, like this really had absolutely nothing to do with me. Like this just was mm -hmm. like, okay, well, we've already got a redhead, so we don't need him. Like, you know <laughs> what I mean? It can, be, it can be that frivolous. At least in my experience, I've seen that happen. I don't, I'm sure for me, it's oftentimes that one's out of true, get rid of him. But, um, I mean, yeah, it's hard. It's hard and it sucks and the lows are low, but we stick around because the highs are so high. Like it's mm -hmm. just it's indescribable when it's going your way and when you're getting that sense of satisfaction. 
that it becomes addictive and I couldn't give it up if I tried. And also, I don't know how to do anything else. <laughs> well, Eli, let's yeah. go to the highest of high moments for you. What is it so far? What's been the best moment? Oh. Um, <clears throat> I mean, to I don't think it's fair because I don't think anything will ever beat booking your first show. So I think, well, I wanted it so badly that when Greece came my way, it was like, that's it. Mm. If I get hit by a truck tomorrow, I did what I came here to do. So I don't know that anything will ever beat that. I have one really vivid and embarrassing memory of Greece where we'd done all of rehearsals and then generally with like a big scale professional show before you officially have opening night, you'll do things called previews. And we, I think maybe we did, let's say we did four previews for Greece. My parents, have watched me go through this struggle, right? They've driven me to these auditions. They've, you know, put me on suicide watch when I've come home inconsolable after being cut first round because I didn't smile big enough. Like they've just been there for all of it, right? So when Greece happened, they were like, no, 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 we don't want to come to opening night. We come into the first time that show plays for an audience. Like we are in that theatre. So they're there in Brisbane opening night of Greece. I've been so good this whole rehearsal period. Like, I've kept it in. I haven't fangirled over, you know, Lucy Maunder. Oh, my God, Lucy Maunder. No, don't fangirl in front of her. Like, just don't (laughs) let her know. You're a theatre nerd. Like, all these people. Anyway, Greece starts and we, our version of the show had Robin Gretel out the front, in front of the curtain. We were all behind it. They do a little soft moment of singing Sandy and then we're all in a triangle and the curtain's going to go up as the music goes. And we just walk forward, right? Super high energy, really fun. It's the first day of school. You're like, whatever, whatever. We're standing there in this curtain. My best friend, Andrea, is in this show with me. I've got her by my side. The curtain goes, and I burst into hysterical sobbing. I don't cry in real life ever. I couldn't tell you the last time I cried. This curtain starts going up, that music starts playing and I'm, weeping and I had like was so embarrassed the whole opening of Greece is the word I just cried the entire time <laughs> straight into summer nights I'm standing there with thank god Eugene wore glasses because I'm just like trying to get the tears out <laughs> and come off stage at the end and you know see my parents at stage door and give my sister a hug and this and that and that and I'm like could you tell I was crying and they were like yeah, yeah <laughs> it was very oh. obvious <laughs> so that was I think that's probably the most special moment me i don't know if anything will ever beat that and sorry yeah, just definitely. quickly sorry jack um i mean Elo, no, no worries what why why was that moment i mean i know it's your first musical and you know you've worked so hard for it but what what exactly was it that that sort of just hit you and made you to start crying you know like did you see your your, your parents in the audience or you know what, what was it no i think it was just that since I was 13 years old, I've been to working toward mm. that moment. Like, I didn't know that was the moment I was working toward. I thought it was going to be, you know, opening in Swan Lake for the Australian Ballet and then that dream changed. And it it was it was the, the climax of, th- like, working from 13 years old, night mm. and day, giving up so much of my life to dancing, to high school, to amateur theatre, to extra lessons because I was weak in this and extra singing lessons and extra acting lessons and, you know, 
it just, I've always been the kind of person that if I put my mind to something, I obsess over it and I will not let that end goal out of my mind. And that moment with Greece was like, oh my God, that little part of you, that little yeah. voice in the back of your head that while you're being positive and working hard, keeps saying to you, this isn't going to happen for you. Mm-hmm. You've been on hold for a professional musical 16 times. Take the hint. Like it's not going to happen for you. That's the moment that you can go to that voice and turn around and stick your finger up at it and be like, guess what, bitch, it did happen. So <laughs> I just, yeah. that was a moment of release and yeah. of like pure relief and energy and joy and i was like mate i did a tick that box done and it's just lucky that i love it so much that i continue to chase that what's the reason for you doing musical theater like i know myself i love doing musical theater to meet new people to you know get outside the box to try something new what's the reason for you giving musical theater a go I mean, if we had, like, a psychologist in, they would probably say it's because I'm obsessed with, like, myself and I want applause <laughs> and attention. And, and I know my family often think that. They're often like, oh, you're just dying for applause if it's been, like, a few, you know, months between shows or whatever. But uh, God's honest, it's because nothing else makes me happy like that does. I don't feel useful in many settings which sounds depressing, I don't mean it to, but I oftentimes don't feel needed or wanted or of use until I'm in a room where, you know, like the times I've done Dance Captain on shows have been some of the most fulfilling moments in my career on small independent productions, but because someone comes to me and says, I can't do this, I need you to help me. And I've taught dance my whole life, but it's a different level of it when you're in that situation, when you've got five weeks you're going to have to go on stage and do that dance move and you cannot comprehend how to do it. Let's find a way to make that work for you. Like it just is the place where I feel respected and needed and wanted and, um, and just appreciated, I guess Mm. it's the only, and it's, it's the only work I find. I do. I find joy in everything I do. I really am trying my very best to be a positive person, but it's the only place where that is. I don't have to try and find joy. Walking into a rehearsal room, tired as hell on a Monday morning, I'm instantly happy. Yeah, well, uh, going back to what you said about your parents, how you know they were always very supportive of you and very caring. Uh, are they up there with some of your your inspirations in life? I can actually see a Marilyn Monroe and Lady Gaga in the background as well. Are they up there? <laughs> oh, yeah. My girls. Yeah, girls. Um, <laughs> my girls. I recently um, uh, inherited a record player How from my Ooh. nana. I yes. know. Oh, but so I've been doing like every time I drive past a record shop or an op shop, I go in and I'm trying to find seminal albums from my life that mean something to me. But I'll show you what yeah. I got. I'll show you what I got because I only got a few. Oh, no. Sorry. I dropped the candle. Um, <laughs> we've got Gaga. Gaga's Joanne, that was an yes. album. Cool. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black. Nice. Cool. The Pussycat Dolls' first album, because Nicole oh. Scherzinger is my personal life role model. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's it's time for Peter Allen. Yes. Oh, how good. The, uh, this, this one, in my opinion, is the greatest album of all time, and I will throw down if someone doesn't agree. Justin Timberlake's <laughs> Future Sex Love Sounds. Ooh. Oh wow! Do you know that? Are you too young for this? 
Yeah. Oh, I've heard of it. I've heard of it. Go and download it, you millennials. No, what are you, Gen Z? Um, and, of course, I couldn't have um, any kind of collection in my life. You may or may not know this about me, but I am the world's biggest fangirl for Eminem. Nice. There nice. you go. Okay, okay, okay. Well, it's it'd be rude of us not to ask for you to do a bit of rapping for us from Eminem. Can you please oh, give us your favourite? May bit? I? Yes, Anything go for it. Blue. Yeah. What's my favourite? Um, oh, hold on. I don't want to pick something hideously inappropriate. <laughs> we can beep it out. We'll censor it. It's a podcast. It's yeah. a news. Oh, we'll, we'll go with everyone's crowd favourite. I've created a monster because nobody wants to see Marshall no more. They want Shady. I'm chopped liver. Well, if you want Shady, this is what I'll give you. And I'm going to stop there because he says he wants some things that maybe let's not advertise. <laughs> well, that was hideously that was embarrassing. How <laughs> Hamilton will be calling me within the week. <laughs> oh, that is so good. Now, Eli, we ask our guests this question all the time, but What's your or what's what's your message for those people out there who want to give musical theatre a go? Like we have a lot of people who work office jobs, they're plumbers, they're they're doing all types of things, but they just want to try something new. And what's your message to them? Um, do you know this is a kind of a question that you get asked a lot, and I get imposter syndrome with it because I feel like my advice is not helpful, and I often seek that advice, but I will offer what I can. And yeah. that is that this, the answer to this question has changed so much as I've been asked it throughout my career. And I think at this point in time, my response to it is really tacky and it's just know your own worth. Mm. It's okay to have downcomings. It's okay to have an Achilles heel. It's okay to have um, weaker points. They're what make you you and at the end of the day, you're a product that someone's buying and you're selling it. And if they're not buying it, that is absolutely none of your business. And it is not your fault. And it is okay. So don't do what I did for the first 10 years. I currently still do it of my career. Don't take it personally. Know yourself, know your worth, work on what you know you need to work on because at the end of the day, you're your own harshest critic. If you've come from a dance background, you are constantly battling negative feedback, not negative feedback, constructive feedback, but oftentimes, at least when I was training, delivered incredibly poorly. You've got to fight that in yourself. Recognise where you need to put the emphasis and the focus in your training. Train that area. And be proud of everything you do. Because at the end of the day, when you walk into an audition room, you're the you're the only you. You're the only you they're going to see. They're going to see better dancers than you. They're going to see better singers than you. They're going to see better actors than you. I don't care if you're Meryl Streep, Mariah Carey, or Barishnikov. They're going to see someone better. Mm. Go in there and be the most authentic version of yourself as you can be. Because when you book that job, you then get to be yourself in that job. If you go in there pretending to be what they want, you could book that job as that fake version of you. You're going to have a hideous time living the fake you for that period of time. I think that's what I would say. Eli, oh, I think Jack and I have, and we've been discussing off the air that a lot of the people that we've been interviewing are just incredibly inspiring, but also very passionate about their craft and about their work. 
it just seems to be a real common thread amongst everyone we've interviewed who happens to be in the musical theatre side of things. Why do you think that is the case? Because, you know, you can look at people in the, um, you know, uh, shelf-packing industry. They're not as passionate as musical theatre people. Or <laughs> So what, what do you think it is when it comes to performers? Because it's a slog. Like, to be completely honest with you, as a grown 30-year-old adult, it's not a great way to live your life. When you look at it, we live out of a suitcase. We never know where we're going to be next. We can't plant roots. We consistently miss things mm. like weddings and funerals and birthdays. And, um, you know, you sacrifice personal relationships because you're too busy learning sides for a callback. Like it just, you become obsessed with it. And if you're not passionate about it, you're a masochist if you stick around. Like, Perhaps when you're younger, you can put up with a little bit more. But I tell you, the second that it becomes a chore, I'm gone. Like, mm. I've done it now. I've mm. lived what I wanted to live. I've ticked every bo- I've ticked boxes I didn't even think I would tick. I auditioned to be in the ensemble of The Wizard of Oz. Next oh. minute, they're offering me the scarecrow, and I'm like to my agent, can you double check? Because that seems <laughs> off to me. <laughs> yeah. But you know what I mean? I've done it now. If I didn't Mm. love it, I wouldn't stick around. And I think that's why such good work is produced en masse in Australia. We have some of the best shows in the world Mm. because we have such little opportunity that so much talent that stick around because it means so much to them. Well, Eli Cooper, thank you so much for giving up your time from coming onto our wonderful podcast. Is there a place where people can reach you and also follow your musical theatre journey? Oh, um, yeah, Instagram. I'm always on the gram. It's at Eli W. Cooper, all one word. Um, And I absolutely respond to the DMs. And do you know what? I, as time has gone on, have had mostly, whenever people are in a local production or community theatre or a high school production of something I've done, I will very often get asked for advice or tips or whatever. And my advice is always a blanket bomb, do your own version of it. But I love it. And if if any, honestly, I'm a very big people pleaser and I'm a very big helper. And if anyone ever has anything they need help with, um, if I can give you that help, I'm more than happy to. And if I can't, I will point you in the right direction. So always feel free to reach out. Um, Yeah, Instagram's probably the best place to catch me. Fantastic. Mate, thank you so much for your time. I genuinely got shivers during that interview. There were some things in there that you said that were really, really awesome. And I don't know about you, Jack, but really sort of sparked my my passion for theatre again. So uh, thanks for sort of reigniting that for both of us, but also our listeners out there. Instagram is where you can find Eli Cooper. You've been an absolute legend. Thank you so much, brother. Thank you so much for having me. You guys are killing it. Your first episodes have made me so happy and <laughs> just keep spreading your love of theatre because it means so much to so many people. Thank you very much, Eli. And we'll talk soon. All right. Bye, boys. See you, mate. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Behind the Curtain. Be sure to give the boys a rating and review and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at behindthecurtain.podcast. Talk soon.